0: What is shareholder advocacy? Does being an engaged shareholder matter in today's investment landscape? It's no secret that companies aren't perfect. Quality companies may have policies or certain business lines that may not necessarily align with everyone's personal convictions. However, investors can be more than just a shareholder in these companies, but how? In today's episode of Faith-Based Investing with Guidestone Funds, we'll be tackling what it means to be an engaged shareholder and how to make a difference. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Faith-Based Investing with Guidestone Funds. I'm your host, Chelsea Tisdale, and joining me today is Josh Zinner, CEO of the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, also known as ICCR. Today, we're going to be talking about the topic of shareholder advocacy. Welcome, Josh.
1: Thanks for having me, Chelsea. This is an exciting time to talk about shareholder advocacy and faith-based investing. These concepts have been around for decades, but uh, they're really, I think, exploding these days, uh, and we're seeing a lot of impact as a result.
0: You're absolutely right, Josh, and we're going to chat more about that shortly. But first, let's go ahead and start and explain to our listeners what you do at ICCR.
1: Absolutely. So ICCR goes back to the early 1970s. Uh, At that time, a group of faith-based investors began engaging with the companies that they were holding about the business that those companies were doing in apartheid South Africa. And really out of that effort, ICCR was formed and uh, the whole strategy of shareholder engagement on environmental and social issues was really born out of that effort. So ICCR was really uh, there at the beginning. We really uh, the 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 ethos that we have as ICCR members and investors is really that uh, the companies that are most successful in the long term are companies that are mindful of their uh, of of impacts on their on all of their stakeholders, including the communities in which they operate, uh, including their employees, including their customers, uh, including society more broadly. So that companies that are really mindful of those impacts are building long term value for companies and investors. We're not scolding companies, saying you should do the right thing and the moral thing. We really approach these issues with a long-term value perspective, but that's also consistent with faith, explaining that having any of these issues within their ranks can cause financial risks, legal risks, and reputational risks that can ultimately harm their brand.
0: Josh, I like what you said about not scolding them. I think we we obviously know that companies aren't perfect and and may engage in things that don't necessarily align with everyone's personal convictions, but would you mind diving a bit deeper into the shareholder advocacy process?
1: Absolutely. Uh, fundamentally, the process is about engagement. It's about dialogue. So the process itself can vary, but ultimately it's about being at the table as investors, as faith-based investors with company executives to talk about what's in the long-term interest of both companies and investors. And, and often we can get to where we need to go um, through dialogue, um, but sometimes we reach a loggerhead with companies uh, and, and then we'll file shareholder resolutions, which is a way of getting an issue uh, on the company proxy at their annual general meeting and getting the issue in front of other shareholders, in front of uh, the, the CEO and in front of the board and really raising the profile of an issue that we think uh, the companies should take up in a meaningful way. Um, and ultimately, uh, it's, it's really important to point out that the goal is to find a, a win-win situation with companies where companies are adopting policies and practices on a range of environmental, social and governance issues that both uh, help to build long-term value for companies and investors and are also a positive for society. Um, so we really look fundamentally at conversation, at dialogue, uh, as the key tool that we have.
0: Yeah, that's great, and thanks for explaining that, Josh. And we we really do think that ICCR's efforts are so important in this current environment, and we're really thankful to partner with you all as a part of our own shareholder advocacy initiatives. But let's go ahead and can you talk a little bit about the growth of faith-based investing as you've seen it and its place in shareholder advocacy? What's changed in the minds of investors that's really fueling this growth?
1: Well, I think there's the, the, the atmosphere around investment has changed uh, pretty significantly. And wh- what I mean is that uh, this notion of ESG, um, it, you know, initially was a, a a fringe notion. In fact, ICCR, in, you know, in the 1970s, um, ESG didn't exist when ICCR members started raising these issues with companies. And so, faith investors, uh, you know, going back, were seen as, as you know, maybe a little fringe and and raising uh, moral issues with companies. But ICCR members really kind of persisted with companies um, with this notion that well, this is really um, for companies about about building value. Um, about understanding what the risks are from a a ways out. And I think that we've always had a very active community of faith-based investors at ICCR, but I think more people have started to realize that it's not just an afterthought to look at the impact uh, their investments are having, but rather a critical step that we should all take very seriously.
0: Exactly, Josh. Investors need to know that not only is this an option for them, but Also, it can make a substantial impact on their well-being, our economy, and most importantly, our future. Professionals in the financial space really, I think, have noticed more people talking about ESG or environmental, social, and governance. Is that also playing a part in the increased appetite we're seeing for faith-based investing?
1: Absolutely. Uh, The the reason being that you know, the fundamental, uh, the, you know, the rise in, in ESG. And and again, you know, I want to, I, I can't say enough that really the, you know, the forebearer of, of all of this ESG was a faith-based investment frame. But it's become more and more um, mainstream in the sense that, you know, now even the major investors and, and companies themselves recognize that those companies that are Really mindful of invent- environmental and social impacts, and that are really serious about putting in place good governance measures, are companies that are going to build value in the long term. And and that movement and that understanding and that realization to to the point where now you have the, these huge funds like BlackRock that are talking about ESG, that that's really exploded and it's become much more mainstream. Uh, and and the faith frame runs parallel to that. The faith frame is really about, well, look at what the, your impacts are, company, on people, on communities, on the planet, and look at how that affects your long-term value. Look at how that impacts uh, financial uh, financial risk. Look at the reputational risk. Look at the regulatory risk. Take that into consideration. Address it. Um, so these movements really um, come into parallel. And I think the broader acceptance of the ESG movement, uh, where investors are really um, – Understanding impacts and holding companies accountable for these impacts is really um, helping to fuel a a rebirth and a a renewed strength in the the faith-based investing movement, um, just because these ideas are so parallel. I think a fundamental difference is that the faith-based investing, really the starting point for the conversation with companies is what are your impacts on people and communities, on society, on the planet? Um, whereas the ESG frame is about what is the bottom line impact on the company, and then the faith-based frame, looking at impacts on people, that then becomes um, uh, a business case for companies, looking at okay, what are the risks that come out of that? That's
0: so interesting, and and it's exciting to see this really evolve. So why is this all happening now, in your opinion? What's going on in the world today? Let's talk about that. That's really putting faith-based investing at the forefront of people's
1: minds? Well, I think there's there's two factors. I mean, the first is very much what I was just talking about is that, you know, as ESG has become more mainstream and more, um, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, in, in the norm, um, it's really mainstream faith-based investing as well. So more and more uh, investors are comfortable with that language and comfortable of that view of the world, that it's not about short-term shareholder value. It's about the broader long-term uh, impacts and so that's given uh, a a lot of legitimacy to the to the type of engagement that we've been doing for a long time so that people see it's not just the act something that activists and religious people do but it's it it's good it's fundamental fiduciary duty as an investor to look into these impacts so that's a big factor and really the second one is uh you know and this is a big one is that people of faith are really alarmed by the current polarization in the world and the crises that we're facing and there's really a growing realization that we must do whatever we can, including with the assets that we hold to try and make a positive impact on the world in this environment.
0: So Josh, as this becomes more mainstream, are companies, are you seeing companies be more responsive when you present them with these investor concerns?
1: Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're at the table with hundreds of companies every year, our members. Um, And so very much varies depending on the company. Um, but the, the companies that really understand our role, they, you know, they view us as, as canaries in the coal mine. We, we as, as faith investors, we're constantly um, in touch with, with uh, nonprofit organizations, community-based organizations, trade unions, and others that are really um, represent people in communities that are impacted by corporate practices. So we bring to companies risks around labor, around environment, Um, water, food, health, whatever it might be, um, that really helps companies to understand risk um, long before it affects the company's bottom line. So companies see that engagement with ICCR members as an opportunity to understand where these risks might be and address them. Um, Some companies get this fundamentally, and some companies, obviously, we need to bring them along with shareholder resolutions, but we can certainly point to many, many, many instances um, where our engagement with companies has led to positive impacts that have um led to uh, you know long-term value for companies.
0: Josh, why don't you give us an example or two about some of the strategies that you're using um that have really brought these issues to the attention of the companies?
1: Absolutely. I you know, one example I I can give, I think that is really resonates with with faith communities is is the work that we've done with with many allies um, around the opioid crisis. So, a, as a group of investors, obviously we're you know very concerned as investors that the you know that the manufacturers you know many of the big pharma companies and the distributors of opioids are you know because because of the opioid crisis because of this crisis where 130 Americans die every day from opioid overdoses, where communities are ravaged. That that there's a, a a serious degree of risk for these companies, both in terms of reputational, financial risk, regulatory risk, legal risk, uh, and it's it's getting worse and worse. Um, and so we 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 banded together a group of ICCR members, along with a group of allies like public pension funds and and labor union pension funds. To really, um, to 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 really press the uh, opioid manufacturers and distributors um, for accountability for their manufacture and distribution of opioids, um, to make sure that there was governance structures in place in those companies to ensure that there was a level of accountability that there that that the manufacture and distribution of opioids by these companies had that w- was not subject to to ongoing abuse that fuels the opioid crisis. So we began engagement with a, a, a bunch of companies, both in the, in the manufacturing distribution sectors, um, with a series of, of governance reforms that we recommended. We filed a number of shareholder resolutions, um, examples of the governance that we were looking for as an independent chair of, of the board, um, board-level responsibility for opioid risk oversight, Misconduct clawback policies uh, for uh, w- when there when there were problems, um, exclusion of compliance costs from compensation. So you can see, and of course, um, transparency and political spending. So you can see that we were really um, trying to engage these companies from a governance perspective, not from the perspective of uh, you know opioids need to end because there is a recognition that there's a, a, a need for pain maintenance. Um, but for a strong message from the faith investors and the broader community of investors that you do have to be accountable um, for your conduct in the opioid crisis. And that includes very strong governance to ensure uh, accountability when, when, when there's been abuse or when there's been a lack of oversight uh, over a reckless distribution, for example. Um, and so we launched this campaign a couple of years ago in 2017 and, and really have seen a lot of governance reforms by the manufacturers and distributors, but of, and Guidestone, of course, has been very involved in this process. Um, we still feel we have a ways to go, but I think have have really pushed that industry for some significant governance reforms that I think will will help uh, accountability quite a bit.
0: That's great. It's it's as if you're really. It sounds like warning, but also like you said, collaborating with these companies about a problem. That could ultimately affect their bottom line, but also working toward an opportunity that can help investors reach their goal.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, you know, we have, it, you know, it's very, this work is very much about relationships too. And I think that's, you know, something also fundamental to the way ICCR members do their work and the way faith based investors more broadly are philosophy. It's about building authentic relationships between investors and, and, and with people at companies. And we find often, you know, it's, there, there are many people inside companies who understand uh, these risks and understand that the companies need to move and where they need to go, but they need support inside their companies to, to raise the profile. And so oftentimes we find ourselves helping to build support for our allies inside companies to, to get buy-in for, for fundamental changes at that company. So it's, 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 I think a very much a hallmark of, of faith-based investing that it's very relationship-based and that that's actually a very effective, uh, way to do the work.
0: I love it. And, and Josh, before we kind of wrap up this episode, um, is there anything else that you feel like would be pertinent to the financial advisor that uh, as they're approaching this topic and really understanding what it is to be an advocate for investors, uh, do you have any advice or um, something that you think would be important for them to keep top of mind?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's really kind of reiterating a, f- a few points that I made. That that it's really, you know, one, one of the things I think that is is, is, is so strong and important about shareholder engagement for faith-based investors is that it you know it, it's an opportunity. first of all, it, we see it as really fundamental to fiduciary duty for investors. that if you're a, a, a strong fiduciary that you're you're engaging with the companies that you hold to improve their governance, to improve their processes, to mitigate risk. But in doing that actively, you're also at the same time a, as a faith-based investor, you have the opportunity through your investments to, to, to be value consistent. So to, to live out your values, not just in the work that you do in communities or in, the, in, the, in, in, in your faith institutions, but also with, with the investments that you hold. And so it creates a holistic consistency, including across your investment portfolio, at which you're both living, you can live out your values, whether it be environmental sustainability or opposition to human trafficking or whatever it might be. And at the same time, be a strong fiduciary for your investments. So it, it really is a, a win-win. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I really encourage those who are listening um, to, to, to look into this and, and, and to reach out and to work collaboratively with other faith, in, faith investors to really uh, have an impact.
0: I love it. And Josh, thank you so much for telling us all about shareholder advocacy today as you engage in uh, at ICCR and really chatting about the growth in faith-based investing. That concludes this episode of Faith-Based Investing with Guidestone Funds. Join us for our next episode as we discuss how can an advisor start the conversation around faith-based investing. And as always, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe. If you have any questions about this topic or our podcast, feel free to email us at faithbasedinvesting at guidestonefunds.com. Investment considerations. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principle. There can be no guarantee that any strategy, risk management or otherwise will be successful. You should carefully consider the investment objectives risks, charges, and expenses of the Guidestone Funds before investing. A prospectus with this and other information about the funds may be obtained by calling 1-888-GS-FUNDS, 1-888-473-8637, or downloading one at GuidestoneFunds.com funds. It should be read carefully before investing. Guidestone Funds shares are distributed by Four Side Funds Distributors LLC, not an advisor affiliate. Foresight is not a registered investment advisor and does not provide investment advice.